the Spiritual Brew Pub Podcast. We'll help you navigate spiritually after or during a belief shift, deconstruction, or crisis of faith. Not to try to convert you to a particular destination, but give you the resources you need to evaluate your future belief or unbelief and help you follow the religious historical evidence wherever it leads. I'm your host, Michael Camp, a recovering conservative evangelical, the operative word being recovering, sharing my journey in helping others rebuild faith or a reasoned philosophy of life. So grab your brew of choice and learn how fact-based history helps us both critique and rethink faith. Why do we call it a brew pub? Because we like to hang out in them, at least metaphorically. A pub is a great place to let your hair down, share your true thoughts about your journey, and discuss things with an open mind in a non-judgmental environment. Welcome everyone to the Spiritual Brew Pub. I'm your host, Michael Camp. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Kathy Escobar. She's a former evangelical, an author, and a lead pastor of an alternative faith gathering in Denver, Colorado. Kathy, welcome to the podcast. It's good to be here. And I'll just say that I co-pastor, and the reason why I like to make sure and remind everybody of that is that it's a lot better to share. I have a really high value on sharing, so I share pastoring with some other folks. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, in a moment, we're going to start a conversation um, about your book. Um, I love the title, Faith Shift, Finding Your Way Forward When Everything You Believe is Coming Apart. And um, this is a book that's really uh, for people who were, who were once dedicated to their faith, particularly for fundamentalists and evangelicals, um, and then through a process of change, end up leaving and and finding another way. And it's often a very difficult experience. So um, uh, this book is for, for, to people to, for people to help them through that process. And I want to, before we get started with the questions I got for you, Kathy, I wanted to tee up this topic a little bit, because I think it's really important. Um, I'm really glad that you wrote your book. Uh, there's not many books out there that talk about the process and the experience that people go through stage to stage. And I think yours does a really good job. But the reason why it's important is because um, Christianity uh, and spirituality are changing in America, um, especially in the last, I'd say, 10 to 20 years from what I've seen. Uh, people are leaving the church. They're rethinking their faith. Um, there was a study by the Christian Post in 2014 that said that 3,500 people leave the church every day. Mm. Uh, that's 1.2 million a year. And they're particularly conservatives and fundamentalists, I believe. I'm sure there's other people f- and from liberal churches that leave too. But um, it's, a, it's quite an, a phenomenon. Just, just think if you, if, uh, if you could place yourself or get a deal where they could hand out your book to everyone who walks out the door. <laughs> I'd sell a lot more copies. <laughs> yeah, you could tap into that. That'd be great. But um, anyways, uh, there, there's a couple main reasons that I've seen that people leave. Uh, one is that some churches um, compel people to believe some kind of absolute truth or doctrine. Um, And they have, instead of just a few non-negotiables, they seem to have a long list. 
and you know things about how to view the bible uh how to believe in, in the church uh, uh how to believe in salvation um the doctrine of hell um you know was, uh, the role of women in the church uh and sexuality and behavior codes and all kinds of things and they could compel people to believe a certain way and then when people start to question it or have legitimate questions they don't get satisfactory answers and they start rethinking things another uh reason is um there's a lot of controlling pastors and controlling church systems out there uh that end up um abusing their authority or their power uh and um spiritually abusing people and um they do it under the guise of things like church discipline uh, and, and other things. So there's a church in Seattle that's pretty famous for doing that called Mars Hill, Seattle, led by Mark Driscoll. Have you heard of them? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know that whole story. Yep. So that's a big story. People, if you Google that, you'll, you'll see about it. It's a heavy-handed pastoring that wound up uh, dissolving the whole denomination. And I think the most vulnerable of... Uh, of the people who go through this um, are women and, and the LGBTQ community. Um, but, you know, people move on and some of them become progressive or liberal Christians. Some of them become duns, meaning they're done with church, but they still might believe. Uh, and then others become nuns, not Catholic women who wear black tunics, but <laughs> they, they don't have a religious affiliation and, and, and still are spiritual. Um, some of them become agnostics. Some of them become atheists and leave it, leave the faith altogether. Bart Campolo, uh, Seth Andrews uh, uh, are two of the better known ones who came out of evangelicalism that became atheists. So um, it's very hard to go through this shift. And, and you've got uh, a lot to say about that and how, how, uh, how to deal with that whole process. And uh, so we're just going to dive right in, but I do want to say that your book really did help me. Um, even though I had come through most of my faith shift, by the time I read it, it was still helped me to come to terms with what went, what I was going through and uh, very helpful. So enough of me blabbing away. Um, what spurred you to write this book? What, what's your story? Oh my goodness. Well, a couple things. I mean, I just want to build on what you shared is that Christianity is in a big radical face shift <laughs> right now. Um, and, you know, has been in the past. There are these, you know, chunks of, um, of years uh, that things shift, but so much has happened in the last 13 years since I really engaged in my free fall out of the traditional evangelical system and just watching it pick up speed has really been fascinating. And, um, you know, all those years ago when I bombed out of big church, I'll share that in a few minutes, but there really were just like kind of covert pockets of people writing online, more memoirs, those kinds of things that were like, here's what I'm experiencing. And I reached out online to find some other people who were suffering and trying to find their way. Because when you give yourself to a system so wholly and completely, and then you lose it, it's really disorienting. And um, what I found is that um, over time, just more and more people have joined in. And even, you know, even in the last two weeks, probably, there's a whole new um, batch of folks who just can't do it anymore. 
in the way that they were doing it. It's just not working. So it'll be really interesting over time to see what continues to happen. For me on the book, I didn't set out to write the book. It's always really important to know that. I just started sharing on my blog. I've been blogging for a long time. I started that um, on, on my own blogging a couple years after the refuge. And um, what spurred me on is um, my story, really. And my story is just one of, it's pretty standard for a lot of people. It's that my, I was not raised as a Christian, so I didn't come from that rigid conservative Christian system. But when I went in on Jesus, I went all in. And I really just adopted the norms and the rules and the behavior and the doctrine and the dogma, you know, kind of like all the way in. And um, I was looking for something that I needed desperately. I came from a really dysfunctional family and I was looking for rails and boundaries and right and wrong and some things that um, were bigger than faith. Um, and I found it in the Christian evangelical system. And um, the problem was, is that it didn't heal me, you know, in some ways, it just magnified some of my wounds from my family of sort of an external good girl and an internal deals with shame and self-hatred and loneliness and disconnect from my soul. And so I played for a long time. I played well. My husband and I raised our kids um, at the beginning in that system and were um, just really devoted. It's the best way to put it. And um, what happened to me is I just started doing some personal work in my own life, healing, um, being more honest about my story and my struggles um, with some other women who are actually part of a conservative Baptist uh, system also, and just beginning to realize how split I was. And so when I started to tell my true story, this is over 20 years ago now, 20, almost 25 it just didn't work in the systems. They were like, what's wrong with you? You're not allowed to talk about God like that. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Where's the Bible? Where's the Bible? Pray harder. You're, you're Get getting out of the it. box there, Kathy. Stay in the box now. Yeah, <laughs> it was really strong. But I stayed around for a long time and just tried to create healthy pockets of more honesty. So healing and recovery has always been in my DNA. And then just to kind of move it up to, you know, 13 years ago, I was on a big church staff. I did not intend, that wasn't in my story. My master's degree is in organizational development management. And so system stuff is kind of in me, but I was a stay at home, good Christian woman mother yeah. um, for a chunk of time. But I did, I did go to Denver Seminary um, working on a certificate in spiritual direction. I started as a therapist um, and then switched over to spiritual direction. That kind of opened the door for a job at a big church as a care pastor. And um, what happened to me there is kind of like one of those um, Saul Paul experiences where you're, the scales like fall off your eyes and you start to see the whole thing um, in totally new eyes. And when that happened to me and I began to see um, power structures uh, bent against women, uh, certainly a bent towards anybody on the margins, the rabble rousers, the addicts, the mentally ill, the strugglers, where the power wasn't. Um, and that was my work in healing. I just like my eyes got opened and it's a long story, but Right. I pushed, I pushed. And that's where so many of us experience. Like if that's you right. start telling your truth, 
the system flips out. That's right. That's very true. I, I relate to that completely. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what spurred me on. Is I just started writing. I mean, we free fell out of the, the mega church and planted the refuge, which is something that's the community that I co-pastor all these years later. We've really evolved as a community, and that's, a, that's another story I can share later. But the bottom line is, is that trying to create um, a system that truly was inclusive, was egalitarian, was a place for healing. I never recommend planting churches when you bomb out and um, lose your job and fall on your face and lose your faith all at yeah. the same time. Right. But we did, and in some ways we crawled um, to healing, but... The book came from just a series of blogs that I wrote that found that what happened to a lot of us um, as we transition here is just that we know it all came apart. Like everything we believed came apart, but then we don't know what to do. Like at the right. bottom of that, what do we do? And right. so I just wrote a, a series of blogs called a rebuilding after deconstructing. And um, out of that, kind of came a lot a lot of people resonated it still was one of my top things on my blog and so um convergent books which i'm really grateful for they were a new um progress progressive right. christian I'm imprint. Familiar with them. Yeah. and they just came and said let's work on something and so that's how face shift came to be and i was really happy because there's lots of memoirs i love them there are lots of people writing about this but this one kind of is like a tool and a resource it's really intimate and it helps give language to people that need language. Yeah, that's very key. It did give language to it. Because you're like, what's going on with me? And then you lay it out the stages. Oh, yeah, that's the stage. I remember that stage. And I remember that stage. So one of the things that resonate with me is when you said, you know, you were, you were younger. How old were you when you came into the evangelical church? I'm just curious. I was basically in high school. Yeah, see, this is very common. Even, you know, it's either, people come into the evangelical church usually uh, if they're, of course, they, they're homegrown and their parents are, or they're in their young formative years, te teens, uh, early 20s, um, and, you know, you have some kind of a life crisis or you, 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 something's missing, and, and this church says, oh, we've got the answer. So it's very attractive at first, right? And then when you get into it, you, you see some of the power issues that some of the things that you you described that I had the same exact experience um you know I was excited about Jesus at first and and uh, I still am to some degree uh I am still excited about him, uh, his teachings because uh I think they're so much different than what the church uh, really stands for but that's another that's another area so um I love the terms that you used. You called your audience spiritual refugees, church burnouts, and freedom seekers. <laughs> so given that's your audience, what is the goal of your book? What do you want your readers to understand and achieve? Well, I think it just really is summarized in really one sentence, and that is you're not crazy and you're not alone. Yeah. And you're not crazy and you're not alone. And when you push against a system in any way, something in you shifts and changes, whether that's beliefs and dogma, whether it's a life crisis, you know, whether it's just a longing for something more and different. You're just tired sitting, looking forward and listening to someone tell you what God says. Um, what, no matter what that is, it's like when that happens, you lose a lot. And the system stays static, so they're all fine. So all the people... 
that I used to, you know, worship alongside, it's changed a lot. A lot of the people I do know are not in church so much anymore, but there's a whole bunch of people that still are. And we just, you lose, you, well, one is they think that we're rebellious, heretical, you know, dangerous. Right. All those terms. Slipping down the, you know, the slippery slope, be careful of the slippery slope. Um, and so all of that is really real. So that's the crazy making. And then the alone is that a lot of people really don't have anybody. I encounter this a lot. A lot of people message and they're like, I live in a rural town and this happened to me and I have nobody to talk to in real life. Online is great. And I have a high value on online, but it's not the same as somebody across no, the table. Yeah. So, um, that, that uh that is so true uh people are feel alienated i guess and until they find uh that there's hey i remember that distinctly with myself i would go through these wow i just discovered something this is based on history i did i'm the research guy i dig deeper i don't just you know i i want to find out why you know so i'll go back into the original greek of the new testament i'll read history i'll find out how the bible was compiled I'll do all this stuff. And then one, and then I think, Oh, you know, why isn't anyone talking about this? I'm the only one. And then I realized, no, actually I slowly got to see that there's a huge community out there and there's so many good books and research that's been going on the last 10 or 15 years that has, uh, there's a lot of resources out there to help people, um, you know, understand, uh, why, why they, they really do need to make a shift. Um, so, you've got like six stages that you list in the book. Uh, why don't we just go through each one briefly? What, what is the stage of fusing? Yeah. Well, let me say one thing about the six stages is that um, I, you know, especially those of us that came from formulaic churches and systems, you know, we were really talked a lot about this, the danger of kind of um, labeling things and so this is the language that I used in the book. I like the language. I think it describes things um, in, a, in a fairly consistent way for a lot of people. But people could, and it's, there's also a diagram in the book. It's also on my blog that you could look at. But the truth is, is that you could put in different language. These are not all, it's not a perfect mix. It's, you know, I always tell people adapt, (laughs) adapt and, you know, glean what you need, but the stage of fusing, you know, the way I I draw it is really like an arrow up. Um, It's very linear. We all have it. It's kind of where somehow we come to faith. Some people come to faith in the womb. You're born into it. A lot of people I know were like that. Others have experiences, a born again experience like I had. And, you know, it started for me actually before that vacation Bible school, but then high school, I started kind of going to conservative evangelical church and then sort of was still a Democrat and, you know, had really progressive views from my family. And then later on through a Christian college and meeting my husband, you know, things fused and fusing is really just about um, learning the rules believing and learning the rules and then doing them (laughs) and so it's a super productive stage and um, there's very clear norms and the values infusing there's other ones but kind of core ones are certainty there's like a lot of certainty about what is good bad right wrong godly ungodly Um, and then conformity so there's something about conforming to the norms of the group 
And then this um, value of affiliation, being affiliated with a group of people with resonance, you know, out of everything, that's been one of the hardest parts for me of losing is that you knew, you knew who you belonged to and what that group believed. And it wasn't wishy-washy. Infusing, it's very clear. And for me, adapting into a family and feeling like I belonged somewhere, affiliation and belonging are really connected. So those are the core values and um, sort of the linear aspect of fusing. A lot of people just stay there. And so that's super typical systems love fused folks because they keep, they're super productive and they keep the wheel spinning. Right. Yeah. So um, yeah, people uh, get um, embellished in it. They, um, they get very uh, entrenched in it sometimes uh, and the long, t- in my experience, the longer you're in it, the harder it is to kind of rethink things. And, and so usually something has to happen for you to go, oh, wait a minute, you know, something very dramatic or emotional or painful. So that's the next stage is shifting. And, and what, what does that mean? And what makes people start to shift? You, you gave some examples in your own life, but what have you seen? What's the shifting stage like? Well, in the shifting stage, it's really important to note that a lot of people experience some kind of, um, I don't know, light face shifting, you know, where I always just say it's when things get rumbly. And so people experience that in different ways. They might start to question what a pastor is saying. They might go, hmm, I wonder if there's a mistake in the Bible. Um, I wonder if it's a little weird that only educated men translated it, you know, Um, (laughs) things like. Yeah, what happened to the church mothers? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and there were a bunch. And so, um, Things that uh, happen that are like kind of they're an internal, you start making shopping lists when you're sitting there. You might ask a few questions and get responses that kind of make you go, hmm. And the best way that I describe shifting, I think a lot of fused people shift, honestly. They go through the phase of shifting in some ways, like there's a restlessness. Um, but shifting is kind of in our control. So I would say that all those years that I was pushing against, um, the systems related to creating really honest, authentic, raw, real, vulnerable healing community. I was shifting in there, but I stayed in. So shifting when you, you know, that in the, in the terms of the six stages, shifting is you're kind of still in, but things get rumbly. And I'm going to move on to returning because that's the third stage. And I did um, share this in the book um, is that what happens for a lot of people who kind of get things get rumbly is there's this sense of fear and there's a sense of like, ah, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to actually pull that thread further. And so returning is really a stage where people just kind of go back to sort of either all the way fusing or sort of a combination of fusing and shifting where they just sort of land the what about the, you know, what ifs, so, you know, especially that, what if the Bible says this, but what about, you know, pe- the church is made up of imperfect people. And I think one of the reasons why people return also is they're c- concerned about the kids. You know, that's a really valid concern for a lot of people. What, what would we be if we didn't bring our kids up in um, a faith structure? 
Um, and then the other one that's a huge reason that people return and how they manage their shifting is inspiration addiction. And that's a term that a friend of mine years ago mm -hmm. who I planted the refuge with um, shared, and I'll always remember it, is that we just have this addiction to inspirate, weekly inspiration. Yeah. And so it's like in us and we can't imagine life without it. And so I know lots of people that during shifting, they just kind of don't go to church as much and they're just not as involved and they maybe go shopping around for something else, but they always end up somewhere back. And in shifting, like nothing radically changes. It just is rumbly and kind of weird. And then returning helps brings up, bring us back to some level of comfort and um, back to sort of a norm or homeostasis that helps us feel more comfortable. So those, for, those three kind of go together. And I would just say that the common theme that they have is that they're sort of manageable. And that makes so much sense um, because I I can see that in my in my life, the uh, all three of them working together, because the, uh, there were so many times when I questioned things in the church, and you know like just like you said, geez, this is not worth it. Um, I like the community. Um, I like, you know, I'm addicted to the inspiration. I, you know, I I feel like you know God's got this is the answer. I mean, so you know who am I to rock the boat? I should just, you know, <laughs> but then eventually, you know, I kept, you know, the, the doubts and the questions didn't add up and I, and, and I kept, you know, kind of going in circles. I could see myself shifting and returning over the years, the way you're describing it. So the next stage uh, you called unraveling. And uh, to me, that's the most dramatic stage. Uh, what, what's happening there? Yeah, unraveling to me, and you know, the, in the imagery on unraveling, it's like just a free fall down. <laughs> and so um, unraveling is where you just can't, it's beyond us. So again, using shifting returning in our, we can navigate it sort of and contain it. And unraveling is when it's beyond us. And so that can be, you know, a series of things. It's like, I can't unsee certain things and I cannot go back. Like I have an allergic reaction to certain things that used to be yes. comforting to me. Um, yeah. Unraveling is I cannot go be part of a system that is discriminatory to my LGBT um, friends or my own sexual identity. Um, and, uh, unraveling is, I just, it's a bunch of bullshit and I can't do it. Right. And so I just can't, it's a comprom, um, a compromising of my integrity that is, I, I can't cross it. So unraveling is beyond us. I always say this, you know, no one wants to unravel. The truth is, is most of us don't really want to unravel because it's so painful and unraveling is just like one big ball of grief. And yeah. what happens in unraveling for a lot of us, and if I, you know, the truth is, this is, I wanted to start the book with unraveling because I can kind of say fusing, shifting, and returning almost in one sentence. But the truth is, is that it was really helpful to walk through because we can all identify where we've been. Most people who read Faith Shift really are in unraveling. 
or past it and trying to find their way. Um, but not everybody. But unraveling is, you know, when you lose beliefs and you lose particular beliefs, then you lose the structures that support those beliefs because structures are focused on belief in um, faith systems. And um, when you lose the structures, then you lose relationships that go with those structures. You know, how many people I talk to, and I know this, like, I thought they were my family. I thought I was going to be friends with them forever. And when you stop submitting to the beliefs, you're out and they just move on the next Sunday and pretend like you didn't even exist. It's um, amazing. I, I experienced that. <laughs> me too. It's a pain. It's a crazy, sad thing. I, yeah. Really I just, it's amazing. I, I just, I just want to give one example. Uh, I was in a church um, that I eventually walked out of and, and it was the second to the last church I was in. I was in one more after that, but uh and I was very upset with some of the things that they were teaching. And so uh, I eventually left. But I remember one time, uh, shortly before I left, someone, one of the elders, I was one of the elders or deacons or whatever it was. And they were like, uh, bro, I really love you, man. You know, yeah, I'm so glad uh, that you're on the, on the team here, blah, blah, blah. Right. And when, the, and when I left, I wrote a letter to the, all the people that I was working with, the deacons and the elders, why I left. And no one, no one came back to me and said, hey, you know, I'm so glad, sorry you're leaving. No one had any questions there at all. Nothing. It was just like crickets. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's so like that is such a common story. Yeah. It was like, I thought this guy said he loved me. Why wouldn't he at least call me up and say, I was expecting and I wanted to explain more and maybe have some good one-on-ones. And, yeah. you know, I wasn't, you know. Uh, and I was just really surprised that they didn't at least call me up and talk to me, you know, or we, or we remain friends, but it's just so it's, you're right. It's just, it's, it's that it's, it's almost, it's cultish in that way. Right. It's like, it's only the group. And if you, if you go outside the lines um, or they say you're in church discipline or whatever uh, they, uh, they don't want to talk to you anymore. They just, you know, I don't know what, what it is. They just think that um, th- that would be uh, compromising their, their faith or something. something well, like. I think, too, it's really important to remember, kind of back to that you're not crazy and you're not alone, is that it really does make us feel crazy because it means something is wrong with us right. instead of something wrong with a system that actually treated you like you just got treated. And, and so right. it's like something's wrong with us. And this is what everyone really struggles with is, am I being unfaithful? Am I being rebellious? Am I being heretical? Am I being hardened of heart and prideful and selfish? Like those are all things that most un- unravelers feel, not everybody, but a lot. It's a common experience. And instead of like kind of questioning the system, we question ourselves because we were taught to. And then the system in that moment sort of tells us that it says, you know what, if you're not going to play, you know, we're moving on. Good luck to you. You know, and they don't even say it out loud. They just pretend that you don't exist anymore. Right. And And that is very painful. Yeah. And it occurred to me why people um, ignore you and, and move on and don't try to reach out and the reason is because there's an insecurity if they if they if they acknowledge what you're saying at all then they have to come back and go well maybe there's something wrong with the system maybe michael has or kathy has some has a point here 
and they can't, it's too painful to face that. They're, they're not ready to face that. So they, they, they have to blame it on you. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. so true. Right. It's so true. And the thing about unraveling, some of the core values and unraveling are uncertainty. So it's like, I don't need to know, you know? So, and when we used to need to know, and then it's just uncertainty, you know, that's a boat rocker for sure. And then authenticity, like folks who are unraveling cannot do disingenuous um, and are just looking for raw and honest and vulnerable. Um, And then the last core value, I mean, there's more, but sort of central ones are, is autonomy. And so that is a huge one for us because for a lot of people, because like kind of knowing what do I think, what do I honestly believe? You know, that was a huge piece for me. And I'm an Enneagram 2 helper, adult child of an alcoholic, codependent, people pleaser, good girl. You know, I got it all going on in the <laughs> non-autonomous department. And, um, and so learning how to begin to be separated from systems that um, you know, really gave us life and they worked. I mean, I will say this, like a piece is, some of it really worked. It wasn't all bad. Oh, yeah. um, and so we'll talk a little bit on that on rebuilding. Yeah, right. but- yeah there's, there are, that's why we got into it because there's some good things in it. So, right. yeah. So what about severing? Well, so severing, so the thing about unraveling, I just want to add and sever, sever, unraveling, severing and rebuilding kind of go, all go together in a different way. But um, unraveling is not um, a quick process for some. It just like all comes apart fast, but the process of navigating through it is not fast um, and it looks different for everybody. And I think kind of once you unravel, then you're kind of always in the phases of unraveling and rebuilding and severing is a part in the book. That's kind of like a hard stop at the bottom of unraveling. I was really grateful to the publishers for um, really advocating to keep that in. It was a really important aspect for me. And I had a lot of people say if severing hadn't been in there, they would have just thrown out the book because severing leaves room for people to just break from it all. Right. And to really like pull themselves away from the table. So that can look like atheism, agnosticism, just like, I don't know, or I do know, and there is no God, you know, I've had tons of people land in those places. Um, it can definitely look like I'm done with church, but I'm not done with God slash Jesus, whatever language people use. And um, so it, it's different for everybody. The third group that I just want to say on severing that's really important is people who were in a, um, spiritually abusive extremely toxic systems. You know, mine was toxic, but it wasn't like abusive. I had some abusive elements, small, but not like what I know a lot of people that I journey with have experienced. And um, I will, I always say this to abuse survivors of um, deep religious abuse and trauma is that severing is necessary to be able to heal because you just have, it's so in you to try and like submit to a system again, that unless you truly detox and truly separate um, healing, isn't always possible in the way that's healthy. So those categories on severing, some people stay there forever and um, some people land there for a while. You know, all of this is very fluid and individual. 
But the truth is, is that some people are there. And I will say this, I have gotten so much flack for this chapter. Really? Oh, yeah. And it's from mainly from um, evangelical conservative Christians. It's like, that's leading people astray. And, you know, and they kind of think the whole thing is, but certainly severing. And I was like, just so you know, people are going to do it no matter what. And um, holding space for this group of people is really important to me. I personally didn't experience a full severing. I just didn't. Um, And so honoring that, like not everybody does, but some do. And that um, there just has to be room and space for all of us. I've known a lot of people that have done so much better in their lives severed. And um, they truly have. And so I honor that to me, you know, I just think the spirit's at work in every single way possible. And so none of us know and language doesn't count for anything. Just because certain people say certain things, it does not make them more spiritual or more connected to God or any of those things. It's just sometimes different language. And we, you know, come from a system like we feel better if people say it a certain way. Um, and so that's the stage of severing and, um, people who experience that often feel really lonely and honestly, they feel extra lonely, even in the face shifting conversation because they watch people trying to rebuild and trying to find community again. And they just don't want any part of that. And so I have a special place in my heart. I I understand that completely. And, you know, you don't have to necessarily rush into the rebuilding stage or anything like that. You can stay in severing and, and work it out or, and um, I, I, so much of what you say, just all these memories come back. I, I actually had a, an experience where I had to sever from a missionary uh, community, um, a team, and it was very painful. And um, you know, most people, I I didn't get the support I needed in severing. And so I was just demonized and I was, you know, like something's wrong with you. You've got a problem with authority, blah, 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 blah. I didn't sever from evangelicalism yet, but so severing can actually happen, you know, even within staying within evangelicalism. And then you just move to another, uh, I don't know, another uh, stream within evangelicalism that you think was more safe. But um that, that happens. It's very common. And I think the key thing you said was sometimes it's necessary just for your mental health. And that's exactly what happened to me. I was going crazy. <laughs> right? Yeah, I know. It's really real. And a lot of people, you know, there's um, a lot of language for it now that there used to not be on yeah. just what really happens in it, our brains well, and our bodies. Right. A uh, psychologist, a, um, a counselor uh, diagnosed me with PTSD. Yeah. (laughs) So anyways, um, that's another story. The last one is rebuilding. Um, I mean, just very briefly, how does one find a new faith or philosophy of life after all this? Well, it looks different for all of us. And, you know, I always tell people that um, rebuilding is, I'm not even sure if that's the right language um, anymore. I'm not positive I would use that language uh, four years later, but I don't know a better word. Um, And uh, someone, uh, so sometimes people come up with some different ones. And so kind of like a reweaving 
um, a renovating, you know, whatever language the idea is, is that is there life on the other side right, of right. unraveling or severing? And, um, you know, it, it, there is, and it looks different for everybody and it doesn't come in a rush. Like that is one thing we don't wake up and go, Oh my gosh, that's all behind us. You know, that's such linear thinking. And we were taught that. And so we want that. So a lot of people come and they're like, I just want to like do what I need to do to get to the other side. And you know, it just doesn't work that way. And that is comes from our Western Christian way of thinking that we were taught. And so really untangling that rebuilding is soul work. Um, and the, the three values that are kind of fleshed out in rebuilding is a deep desire for freedom, mystery, and diversity. And so those three things really guide us in rebuilding. And um, rebuilding looks really different for everybody, but it does kind of, so that's, that's sort of a big part. It's the, the third of the last third of phase shift is centered on rebuilding and some practices that we can do. And again, they're not formulaic. They're kind of like a, a framework, but things like, you know, uh, noticing what remains, what does, what is still there? What, what are, what are a couple of things that I know to be true still about God or the world? You know, everyone does different language, has different language, but it helps to know. I, I still, I still kind of believe this and it can be a really simple truth that, you know, God is love, that, you know, Jesus is real. Like everyone is different. Jesus teachers matter, teachings matter. Like I can't say, you know, the range because it's so wide, but sometimes it's important for um, faith uh, deconstructors to know there is something discovering what remains and honoring that and keeping it really simple. Is yeah, really that's helpful. a very good point. I, that was actually one of the other questions I had How, separating you know, let's say the narrow abusive theology or legalism from something, the good parts of the theology that you were taught. And that's very important the way you're describing it. I mean, you know, because you, you know, people have invested years in this faith community. Most sometimes just sometimes they're professionals, <laughs> you know, you're, you were a paid pastor. You, you're, this is your, your career. And then, and then to to go through this unraveling, severing, and then trying to rebuild, uh, just at least being able to say, you know what, there were some good things in there, and I'll hold on to those, and I'll reject the other ones. That's very healing, I would I, I imagine. It's really helpful. And then finding what works, you know, finding some spiritual practices that work. And for a lot of us, you know, we were taught certain things were actually unbiblical and ungodly and self-centered. And, you know, we, a lot of us were really like, everything was about head and knowledge and had yes. to come through the Bible in a certain way. And so like, I found so many people that are finding life through art um, and through movement, through nature, through connecting with God in a new way to, you know, reframing, um, biblical texts, like everyone is different, but the idea is finding some spiritual practices that work. Another part of rebuilding is celebrating what was, I don't ask people who came from spiritually abusive, um, systems to do that. But for those of us, uh, you know, it's just, it, it's different. It, it doesn't have so much of the damage attached to it. You know, there were some good things and that can help us with our grief and moving forward, like gleaning the good and then respecting, you know, a huge part of this is respecting that a faith evolution 
is a good thing because yeah. it's growth and change and transformation. We have been taught that it's bad and that it's a flaw and a weakness instead of seeing it as a strength and a curiosity and an openness. And um, so that is just, you know, smashing really, you know, deep uh, rules <laughs> that got embedded in us. And, you know, I, I think that uh, talking to some people, one part, we always focus on you know, all the pain and guts and blood and losing ministry and losing friends and losing beliefs and all that. But I also want to honor that there are a lot of people who have had, um, these experiences and it really, they didn't really have terrible church experiences. They just outgrew the container. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They outgrew the container, the container worked and it doesn't work anymore. And so like to really honor that and everyone's different. I always want to be careful about also saying that, you know, people aren't quote unquote more evolved than others. And that can happen in progressive circles. Like we've got, you know, we're in a better place and we're so much smarter. You know, the best way to frame it is we're all in different places. And for me personally, I cannot do the old system anymore. I don't, there's really nothing there that brings life to me. Not nothing. And, um, and so uh, a piece of rebuilding is, you know, kind of, gleaning the good, but also going, I need to seek out what does work. So spiritual practices are finding what works. And the huge piece is honestly igniting passions. There's a whole chapter on that. And that is for a lot of people, our life was spent on serving the church and doing what other people wanted us to do (laughs) and how we were supposed to do it. And so um, I love it when people begin to think of how they want to um, move in the world and things that light them up. And those, those kind of fall in the categories of um, love and justice and beauty. And there's other categories, but it feels like a lot of things people care about fall in those three categories. And so a big piece of rebuilding is go do it, go volunteer, go explore, go create, go love, go meet your neighbor um, and go do it in freedom. And so I'm really spurring each other on. It's been the best thing to watch people um, find that, but how hard it is when we were taught actually that passions and desires were bad. Um, well, yeah, I, I just, I, I just remember, you know, like people saying, well, pray about it, make sure it's the Lord's will. Um, you know, uh, you know, the church needs to have, you know, you need to be into the church to have a covering and all this stuff that kind of stifles what you, what you want to do and so forth. <laughs> oh, it's so true. It's amazing. But, um, uh, I, I just want to make one point. It, it's a real, it's a real breakthrough when you come to the point where, Instead of thinking of yourself, you're the bad person, you're the, you know, there must be something wrong with you. And then you realize, no, wait a minute, I'm actually the spiritually mature person, not that you've arrived, but that you've just come to a point where, you know what, I'm being more honest, I'm being more sincere. And I'm actually, for me, it just blew me away because I would dig into the Bible and the original language and find things that, you know, most people don't see because frankly, our Bibles are, are often mistranslated or misinterpreted. And 
And then I would, I would feel like, wait a minute, these people still aren't listening to me. And I feel like I'm more biblical because I'm, I've, you know, I'm, I'm going into the original meaning of, of the scripture in that particular passage or whatever the case is. So, it, but, but there's a point where um, you got to tell yourself, you know, this is the right thing for me. It's actually, I'm actually being spiritually mature by facing this, being honest and, and moving on. So yeah. it's very good. Um, one one question I had is um, how how are you um, respectful to people who have such serious doubts they can't see the evidence of God anymore or they just come to a stage where you know I'm I'm agnostic I don't know one way or the other or they become an atheist you know said so I just don't see any evidence of God anymore I'm an atheist uh just let them be who they are (laughs) i mean that's that's kind of where i land there's nothing to be done um except for uh relationship and curiosity and um support and knowing that where someone is in a given moment doesn't mean where they're always going to land i mean i don't want to be held to what i believe today is something that i'm going to believe forever and I think that um, honor, honoring the fluidity and just not being afraid. I think that that's, that's you know, a so much is fear-based. Fear. And yeah. so, and the truth is we, you know, we have taken on the role for a lot of times of being the God police. And, yes. um, <laughs> and so, and I mean, I always say God doesn't need a police force. And um, the, the truth is, is that we can just be friends and not, the agenda thing is so, um, people are just so done with the agenda. Oh, I know. Yeah. So I wasn't, certainly wasn't going there with that. I, I, I came to the, I remember I also came to the point where I had, I thought, you know what, this particular atheist or whatever this, you know, I think there's some atheists are very extreme and almost fundamentalist, but most of the ones I've met are very good people. And we also, we have so much in common. We reject so, so much in religion. We have so much in common. And it's, you get to this point where, oh, wait a minute. You, like you said, there's no fear. This is just a, a, a fellow human being that we've had very similar experiences. We've landed in different places, but that's okay. You can be friends. You can, you can share the common ground. You can, you can health, have healthy debates, but there's no reason to fear. I loved it. Uh, I don't know. Do you know who Bart Campolo is? I do. Yeah. yeah. It's been fun to, you know, kind of watch his journey. Right. Well, uh, the last time I was at the Wild Goose Festival, uh, he was up there with Brian McLaren and they were like, you know, how to, how to, how to, how, how to tell your, your family um, you've changed, had a faith shift. That was the topic. And they both had, you know, even though one was an atheist and one wasn't, they both had, you know, the same story basically to tell. And they both were on the same page when it came to, you know, justice, a love ethic, you know, uh, a positive humanism and and so forth. Uh, One of them, one included God and one didn't. But in my mind, you know, if I believe in God, I believe God is, is everywhere. And so he's working in all kinds of ways that we don't even think of outside religion. So anyways, um, that's that's an interesting um, uh, topic, but another question was, um, you know, how do you prevent uh, 
from becoming bitter because I, I a lot of people really I, I, got, I went through an anger stage I was really pissed off and how do you how do you handle that or how do you counsel people about that well, I, um, I really have a strong reaction to that because the truth is, is that everyone's process is different. And the, tr- and the truth is we want people to do it on our terms. Yeah. And so, and we want people to do it our way. And so I, you, people just need to sort it out over time. And I had a lot of people that were like, when are you going to stop being so angry? And, um, you know, that was early on and I really lost my shit in that conversation because it was the first time as a good Christian woman that I'd let myself be angry. This is 13 years ago. And when it came, it came fast and hard and I had to, I could not put it back in. And if I had to take care of everybody in that moment and keep it all together, I mean, I wasn't going to, I wouldn't have made it um, emotionally or practically. And so, um, you know, I just, I really did go off and said, ask me in a year. And, you know, it was, had a lot more strong language than that. And a year later, I felt a little less angry, but you know, I'm 13 years in and I'm still mad about certain things because I keep seeing the same things happen to yeah, people that, that I care about. And yeah, that's very legitimate because, um, I, yeah. So I think there's a difference between, you know, being angry because you're seeing people being harmed, you know, people are getting hurt and, and there's practices that are, people are doing and it's, it's, it's actually, it's, um, really necessary to be angry at that because that's, if you feel, if you, if you have, uh, uh, justice in your heart you want to see justice equality then you should be angry at that right and and then the, the harder part then is you know how, how do you channel that anger how do you do something and not you know maybe become so bitter that you, you kind of go down that path right and you know on the, the whole what i've experienced with most people is that certainly there are some people that are still really stuck in deep bitterness but most aren't you get sick of it you know you really do and so eventually it kind of unwinds and could it have happened faster sure maybe but um on the whole like any kind of pressure applied just never works no it doesn't when you sit down when you sit down okay let me show you the bible verses about forgiveness are you you know (laughs) none of it'll work and so really don't go to sleep in your anger or whatever for you know forgive you know there's a interpretation of you should forgive immediately and there's such a thing as premature forgiveness i think so you need to give people space and have them work it out one of the things that helped me was realizing that you know the people that the things and the practices and the system, the, the people in that system, they don't wake up every morning and go, gee, how can I make people more, um, you know, how can I spiritually abuse people better? <laughs> they're, they're, they're in some ways, they're victims of that system themselves. And we have to remind ourselves we were in that, you know, and, you know, I, I participated in things that probably harmed people by things that I said and did. So you, you kind of have to have a little bit of empathy and that helps you get through that, I think. Oh, it's so true. Oh my gosh. I made my share of amends and there's many amends that, you know, I couldn't make two people in uh, real life, but I tried to in my um, heart. And I just know that we've all inflicted damage and we've all been victims of damage. But I do know this, you, everyone's timetable looks different. 
And we have to be really careful of trying to move ourselves through too fast and to move other people through That's too a fast. Very good and, point. you know, I always do tell people, you know, find, find some people, do your work, you know, get therapy, find a spiritual director, do whatever you need to keep processing because where we do get stuck, and this is true on not just matters of faith, but it's just where we're trying to like navigate it all on our own. Right. And we, we do need help usually with this, some kind of um, support, encouragement, kindred spiritness. It does make a really big difference. Right. Um, how do you handle, very quickly, how do you handle family and friends who are opposed to your faith shift? <laughs> well, it's a, that's one of the hardest there's things. There's not a short answer to that. No, <laughs> there's, it's so hard. And, you know, out of everything, you know, my one word, there's a whole like kind of appendix in the book about it. There's things on the blog. But on the whole, I would say it is learning how to live with disapproval. That's how we handle it. And we handle it by learning how to honor that where they're at is not quote unquote bad. It's just different. And, you know, empathy helps because we were there, but it hurts when we're so misunderstood and prayed for, concerned for, you know, um, sometimes, you know, shunned, ostracized, like all those things really hurt but learning to live with it and then finding, you know, sometimes it depends that one of the biggest um, things that people encounter is where there's an um, intimate partner spouse and are in two different places. And um, that part is really hard. And so I would just say on that one, just as much communication on, you know, how can you honor each other, but hold to the truth of where both exists. And so sometimes that is compromise. You know, I know a lot of times people go, I still want you to come to church with me. And, you know, someone goes, I can't, I'm freaking allergic to it. It's just not going to work. Well, could you just go and like sit through part of it and then leave, but be present. So they're not completely abandoned. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We, I had that struggle with my wife and I, um, anyways, uh, very much relate to those kinds of scenarios. We're running out of time. Um, let me just summarize a couple of things. Um, you've got this community called the refuge. You, is, it's like an alternative church. It's not church like something like that. And you can, uh, well, in a moment, I'll, I'll have you share where people can find out more information about that. And then you've also got a new project or a book coming up. What's the title of that, that new book that you're working on? The new book is with Westminster John Knox. It's going to be released next year. It's called Practicing. Um, the working subtitle is Be the Change You Want to See in the World. And nice. it will you know, be for face-shifting kind of folks, but beyond that, just for people that are all over the place, but know that they want to practice a better way of moving in the world. So it's 10 uh, verbs and um, practices and stories and tools. And so I'm really excited about that. I like tangible and I like real ideas and um, things. So it's putting, kind of- it's putting your, your faith or philosophy of life in practice. And, and- yeah, exactly. It kind of started from a retreat that I did for um, a faith community in Florida called Faith is a Verb. Yeah. And um, so that's kind of the big idea. 
but uh, yeah, I'm excited about it and I'm in the thick of, of working on it and always juggling. And the refuge um, is a Christian community and mission center. You know, our ethos is we of course have a lot of people who have had unraveled faith, but not everybody. We're really a healing community hub. So we have all kinds of things over the course of a month um, and week there's weekly every other week, monthly, all kinds of opportunities for transformation, growth, healing. We do free lunch three days a week at a refuge cafe, meeting tangible needs, yoga, advocacy, support, um, single moms, dinner church. You know, it's really the best way to describe it is just a healing hub. And so it's a beautiful little thing. And I'm always like, people go, I want to come to your church service. I'm like, well, that's not really what it is. We don't really have a quote unquote service. We have right. gatherings that um, do foster healing and people kind of connect what however works. So some right. people can't do dinner church, but they come to Refuge Cafe. They only come to single moms group or some of the special events. Like people can really attach any way that works for them. I see. That's great. Yeah. So, um, uh, what, what about, do you have a website? Uh, where, where can people find your book? And more Yeah, so the, a good hub is just to go to kathyescobar.com okay. and sort of everything is there. I've got, I've been writing on blog for a long time. So a lot of things are on there, um, you know, different events and um, links to the book. And I do just want to say, since this is the conversation, I do facilitate a closed group that's called Face Shift Healing and Hope on Facebook and it's not a kind of a big open group where anybody just comes in and can post things. It's a facilitated group. Um, And I do a weekly video, not, not every week, but on the whole. And um, there's conversation and threads on these different places that people are, almost everyone there is in an unraveling, you know, no one's used that's in the group and so anyone is welcome um i don't just it's not just a hit the join button you kind of have to ask to be in there and kind of say why and um yeah yeah. it's a good place to work on some stuff if you want to so you've got some resources folks kathyescobar.com look find her on facebook um you can find the book at our website and on amazon so kathy thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation. It's been very, uh, frankly, it's actually been much more, (laughs) it's been extremely helpful for me. Just every time I talk to you, I get more out of it. So I was like, wow, yeah, yeah. I didn't think of it that way. There's always something good uh, that, that helps that's helpful and encouraging um, for people. And so um, uh, hopefully we'll talk next another time after you have your next book out and we can talk about that topic another time. But until then, Uh, Thanks for coming on board and we'll see you next time. Well, thank you so much. I'm really glad to know you out here and thanks for the work that you do to, you know, host these kinds of sites and conversations. So it's, it's really great to know you. Yeah. We'll have to connect uh, if I'm in Denver or or if you're in Seattle. So yeah, do, if you come down, let me know. And I've got two kids living up there, but they're both kind of in and out. Yeah. Let me know. Okay. Okay. All right. We'll see you next time. Thank All right. You. Take care. Have a great day. The Spiritual Brew Pub Podcast will help you navigate spiritually after or during a belief shift, deconstruction, or crisis of faith. 
not to try to convert you to a particular destination, but give you the resources you need to evaluate your future belief or unbelief and help you follow the religious historical evidence wherever it leads. I'm your host, Michael Camp, a recovering conservative evangelical, the operative word being recovering, sharing my journey and helping others rebuild faith or a reasoned philosophy of life. So grab your brew of choice and learn how fact-based history helps us both critique and rethink faith. Why do we call it a brew pub? Because we like to hang out in them, at least metaphorically. A pub is a great place to let your hair down, share your true thoughts about your journey, and discuss things with an open mind in a non-judgmental environment.